0: This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. At Christmas time, there's a lot of symbolism that we talk about. We often think about the shepherds, the angels, the manger. Uh, last week we talked about Jesus as king, and we looked at what does that mean for Jesus to be king. This series, and the reason why we were doing this series this year, looking at uh, when Jesus came and why did he come, is because of the magnitude of understanding why did Jesus come to earth? What was the necessity of that? The eternal son of God, why did he have to come out of the heavens and come to earth? We call that the incarnation, when he was incarnate here on earth, Emmanuel, God with us. Why was that necessary and why was that important? We're going to see that today when we look at two two thoughts, one a theological answer and then another a, a practical answer, we're going to continue to understand why did Jesus come. And it's all rooted in one thought and that is that God from the very beginning has desired to have relationship with his people from the very beginning of time when he created at Adam and Eve in the garden, he would walk with them in the garden and he would have fellowship with them. But that relationship was broken because of sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, there became a separation between man and God. God is a holy God... He is a righteous God, and because of his nature and his character and the holiness of who he is, sin cannot come into the presence of God. And therefore, the, the relationship was broken, and there was a separation with his people. But God has always tried to remove that separation. He's always wanted to have a relationship with his people. When he was leading Israel out of Egypt, he would lead them by day with the cloud and by night with fire. And throughout history, we would see him over and over demonstrating his desire and his longing to be with his people. The more we understand this, the more we can celebrate his birth, we can understand his ministry, but most of all, we can see the importance of what it means to you and I. So today, two simple thoughts. I'm going to open the service up in a few moments in the altars here. And so I don't want to speak as long as maybe normal. <laughs> don't say amen to that one. But I won't be speaking as long because Pastor Candy's going to come. And we want to open these altars because I believe that God is not done. We sense the move of His Spirit. And I don't want you to, to lose this moment of what God is desiring to do. He has always desired to walk and be with His people. So Father, as we open your word. I pray that our eyes will be opened, our heart will be open, our spirit will be alert, and that, God, you will illuminate through your spirit, enlighten by your spirit, a revelation from heaven into our hearts and lives today. And all God's people said amen and amen. So let's get started by looking at The theological answer first, now don't lose me when I begin to talk theology here, but the theological answer as to why Jesus came. If you're a note taker, I hope you are, you have your app, go ahead and write in, Jesus came. The theological answer was to make us partakers with the divine nature of God, to make us a partaker of His divine nature. Now as you're writing that down let me explain a few thoughts around this. First of all, when a when a believer, when an individual gives their life to Christ, God sends his spirit, the Holy Spirit to indwell in the heart of that believer. God in a sense, places within the heart uh, of each and every new believer in Christ a part of his nature. His divine nature is placed within the heart of a new believer. And therefore, that's why the Bible says, you and I, as we come to Christ, are new creations. There's a metamorphosis that takes place. The old nature, the carnal man, the sinful man, that seed of corruption is what Paul calls it, is changed, and we're born again spiritually, and we become a new man, a new creation, a new creature, a creature in Christ. What does that mean? Is the divine trying to make It's as simple as possible. The divine nature of God is like a seed that now is in me, and and the old nature is removed, and and there's a change, a metamorphosis, and the new nature becomes my nature. We are born again spiritually. Now we know from Nicodemus's story, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus heard that for the very first time, and, and he says to Jesus, how can one be born again? How can they go back into their mother's womb and be reborn? That is not possible. And here Jesus begins to help us to understand this simple revelation that there is a spiritual new birth. That's the divine nature. A spiritual new birth is we become connected. We we embrace it. And now the very presence of God and spirit of God indwells us. Let me show it to you in Scripture here in 2 Peter chapter 1 in verse 3, reading from the New International Version. Look at verse 3 of chapter uh, 1. 2 Peter, he says, here in Peter, uh, he says, his divine power has given us everything we need, everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. Now, that's an important verse verse 4, we're going to see that we're partakers of divine nature, but we're, we're partakers of it when we embrace the divine power that he's given to us and we get everything we need in the power and through the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is as that divine nature becomes a part of our nature. Everything we need for life and godliness, underline that, circle that, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. In verse 4, through uh, these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate, here's the key, underline it, in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by. By evil desires. Underline that. What a powerful, powerful verse. We could spend weeks really talking about all of this theological uh, principles that are coming out of Peter here, but I don't want to lose you. This is what is happening. The believer, you and I, we escape the corruption that is in the world, the sin that's in the world, and we are able and are enabled to live eternally by the divine nature that we see, for the divine nature of God that gets planted within us, where sin would keep us removed from God. In our repentance, we turn to God, and in the repentance, God's mercy and grace forgives us. Now, don't miss this point here. In this moment, what happens is when you come to the realization of your sin, that you've broken the heart of God, your relationship with God is broken, that the sin that we are partaking in has separated us from God. When God reveals that to you and you repent of your sin, there is a turning from sin to God. In the moment of repentance, that's your faith, believing you can't save yourself, that only God can save you, in that moment of confession, when you turn to God, you receive grace and mercy. Some believers, uh, unfortunately, believe that just because they confess, they are saved. The confession is linked to the repentance. And the repentance, the word repentance means you've broken your relationship with God and you realize it, so you repent of the sin and you turn back to God. And in that moment, God's grace and God's mercy is released over your life and you find salvation. Can I hear an amen? the divine nature of God. Now, what Paul says here is we will never die when we partake of the divine nature. We will be with him for all of eternity. If we stay in our sin, if we don't repent, if we don't turn, then the Bible says that we are aliens to God, we're foreigners to God, we're separated from God for all of eternity. But in our confession and in our believing of God, we get a new nature. The very presence of God, the divine nature of God is in us. And now we're a new creation, a new man. The spirit of himself is within each and every one of us. Can we just give the Lord praise on that? Now, why is this important? Is because the seed of corruption, which is sin caused by sin, we're born into it. Now, sin is selfishness, sin is, is rebellion, sin is living the way we desire and breaking the laws of God. But when we repent of it, our human nature is transformed. So in the simplest way, why did Christ have to come? He needed to take on a human nature because human beings sinned, and the only way that sin could be, could be paid for is that a human would pay for the sin, Go go with me to uh, 2 Corinthians. I want to show this to you in another passage here. 2 Corinthians. Now, I know this is a theological point. It's not a shouting and a hollering and and, and all of that, but it's a deep, deep point that we've got to understand. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21. Look what Paul says here in these verses. Chapter uh, 15, verse 21. Death came into the world... Because of what one man, Adam, did. And it is because of what this other man, Christ, has done that now there is the resurrection from the dead. Everyone dies because uh, everyone dies because all of us are related to Adam. How are we related to Adam is we're humans and we're born into the human race, being members of this sinful race because of what Adam did. Wherever there is sin, death, spiritual death, eternal death will result. But all who are related to Christ, that means they're born again, they're in Christ, they're believers, followers, disciples of Christ, they will rise Again, let me read you another verse Romans chapter 5 and verse 18. Romans 5, verse 18 and and verse 19. Yes, Paul's still the writer. Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Verse 19, because one person disobeyed God, that's Adam, many became sinners. But because one person obeyed God, that's Christ, many will be made righteous. Can I hear an amen? You see, Christ counteracted what Adam did. And yes, we're born into a sinful nature when we confess Christ. And when we receive Christ, we become partakers of the divine nature of the Lord. Let me hear an amen in the house. You see, John Calvin said it this way. He said, the reason that Christ had to come was to impart what was His to us and to make our nature like His nature, and it happens by the grace of God. Now, it's a mind-boggling, mind-blowing concept that here is Christ. Christ is a part of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. We know that as the Trinity, a part of the the Godhead. And here Christ, so that you and I could become become partakers of divine nature of God, here is Christ who lays down the the brilliance of his character and and the, the glory and the deity that is his, and he takes on the form of a man, of a, of a human, and he becomes like you and me. He walked among us. He he eats, he he laughs, he cries, he sleeps, he he mourns, he's angry, he's happy, he's tired. I mean, he takes on the very emotions of a man. I mean, it's it's mind-boggling to imagine that the creator of the world becomes like one of the created. He becomes like you and I, and it's for one person, one purpose, and that is so that he could be with us Now, that circles me all the way back where I started, and that was he's always longed to be with you and I, and he does everything he can to be with us. Now, can we just give the Lord a praise for a moment? Just thank him for a moment for that. So the theological answer, but there's a practical answer, and that's where I want to spend a few moments today before we open up these altars. The practical answer is that God desires and has always desired to be with us and to satisfy our deepest thirst. Now, I ask you to turn to John chapter 4, and in John chapter 4, we have the story of the woman at the well. It's called the Samaritan woman at the well. Now, the story really picks up in verse 1 and goes all the way to verse 42, and it's the story, and it's a story we've heard many times and we read about, and we won't read all the verses. You may want to skim and and follow along with me, but we've got Jesus, and he's ministering in another area. And Jesus is wanting to go to Jerusalem. His ministry is going to continue. And the quickest uh, route from Jericho and the Sea of Galilee is through Samaria when somebody is going to be going to Jerusalem. But I've been telling you that there was this bitter uh, hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans, I mean, it was, it was racial, it was political, uh, I mean, it was barriers that were there for years and years and centuries, and, and so the, the, the normal, pure Jew would not even go through Samaria about a two hour about about a two day two and a half day trip from the Sea of Galilee they would go around Samaria come through Jericho come up around the Dead Sea and through the path and up to Jerusalem which would take then about four and a half five days because they would not go through Samaria so here in the very first verses we see that Jesus needs to go and it says and it's a very interesting uh, statement Jesus says, that he had to go through Samaria. Now, why would he say he has to go through Samaria? Well, let me tell you, it's not because he was in a hurry. It wasn't because he wanted to get there as fast as he could. There was a purpose and there was a mission. Everything that Jesus does has intentionality behind it, and it usually has to do with him coming to meet the deepest needs and thirsts of his people. He had a mission. He had a purpose, and I believe it was to meet this woman. This woman would have a transformation. This woman's life would be changed. Not only her life, but Samaria and those that she will go back to will be changed by the encounter that this woman has. Let's talk about this woman. Here, now I told you, I'm not going to read all the verses, but here is this Samaritan woman and Jesus goes to Samaria. He says, I've got to go. He's on a mission, he's going, and we find that he gets to Samaria. Now, he's outside the city, and he's at the well, and there's a long history about the well that I won't... Uh, the the, the well, not the, the fish whale, but, you know, a well, yeah. My wife's giving me directions. Uh. So, he's at the well, and the disciples leave him, And they go into the village to get some food. Now, Jesus is there. It's noontime. It's hot. He's tired. They've been traveling. And we find that this woman comes to the well. Now, it's interesting that she comes alone. Normally, the women, when they would go out of the city to draw the water, they wouldn't go alone. They would would go together. I mean, it was already a difficult task. It's 15, 20 minutes out of the city. You go get the water. You come back. At least you're going to go with the girls, right? You're going to go with others. You're going to have a good time. But here, she goes alone. I think there's a reason why she went alone. We're gonna see later in the story, the reason I think that she goes alone, but here she comes to the well and there is Jesus that's there. When she comes up to, to the well, Jesus says, will you give me a drink? Now she's shocked and she says, why is it that you being a Jewish person would even speak to me? Jews and Samaritans had a bitter hatred, as I said. He's a Jewish man. She's a, a Samaritan woman. They would not have interaction. And this is what Jesus says to her. Look here in John 4, John four thirteen, Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks of this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. It becomes fresh, bubbling springs within, giving them eternal life. Now, right away, she thinks that Jesus is talking about physical water and physical thirst. But Jesus starts engaging her deep spiritual, uh, uh, if it would be her, her spiritual level and, 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 and desires that are within. And, and he begins to talk about that the water that he will give will meet the deepest needs that are within her. And she says, how is it that you can do this? You don't even have a bucket. You can't even draw water. How do you think that you can do it for me? And he says, listen. What I'm going to give to you will will be water that will will make you never thirsty again. You'll drink this water, you'll be thirsty again. But what I give, you will never thirst again. And he begins to speak in to what he can do internally and and what he desires to do and what he longs uh, to do. And at that moment... We begin to see a shift that begins to take place. And Jesus gets to the reality. I mean, he goes right to the crux of the matter. And Jesus says, well, why don't you go get your husband and bring him back, and we'll continue this conversation. (laughs) Well, now, all of a sudden, this woman has a real dilemma, doesn't she? Because she's got a pretty checkered background. She's got a really bad uh, background. and, And she says, I don't even have a husband. And he says, well, you've spoken the truth. You've had five husbands, and the man that you're living with now is not even your husband. So if you think today is bad, they had bad situations then as well. If you, if you, you know, if you'll get your husband, I don't have a husband. Well, you've had five, and the one you're living with now isn't even your husband. And what does she do? When you look at the story, she changes the subject. She doesn't want to talk about it anymore. And so she says, should we worship up here on the mountain? Should we worship God up here? Or should we go to another uh, place? And what she's doing is and she's beginning to change the topic. She, she begins to talk about, you know, I don't want to talk about religion. I don't want to talk about that. You know, she begins to change it. And all of a sudden, Jesus is going to drive back down. And he's going to begin to get to the root of the issue in her heart. And she's going to get a revelation. The revelation that she's gonna get is a revelation that Christ was the promised Messiah, that he was the one that was sent by God to be the savior of the world. And man, what a day when our eyes are open and we see and we understand that it's not just religion, it's not just my parents' faith, it's not just my uncle's faith, it's not just a ritual, but that there is a revelation that Jesus is the savior and the Messiah. And man, this awakening comes to her spirit. Well, she goes back to her village. She goes back and she tells everybody, she's going to tell everybody what happens. I think one of the funniest parts of this entire story is she goes back to her, to her village and she says to everybody, come and see this man that I've met. <laughs> now, come on, this is pretty funny. She's had five men. She's living with another man. And she's telling everybody else, you got to meet this man I just met. I mean, I can imagine every woman in the room, where's my husband right now? I mean, I mean... This woman's got a checkered past. I mean, all of a sudden. But no, she starts to testify of what God has done in her life and what God has has spoken and what he's revealed to her. And man, he cut right in. And they come. and, And as they come, I love that part of the story at the end where it says they believed on Christ. And as they believed on him, it was not because of her testimony anymore, but it's because they experienced him. Now, by the way, why do you invite people to come next week to the program? Why do you invite them to come to Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve? Why are we inviting people to come? It's because when they come, the testimony of what God's been doing in your life will become a revelation in their life. And their hearts will be awakened to the truth of who Jesus is. So I encourage you, take these flyers, give them out this week. Grab as many as you need when you go out and let's invite everyone to come. Let's invite them to come to the well where there's living water that will meet their inner thirst. Can I hear an amen? So in our final moments, musicians, come on back. I'm gonna give you four truths that I see in this story. The first truth that I see is we can't hide our past from God. We can't hide from God. I mean, you can't hide from the one that sees all. He is, a big theological word, omniscient, which means all-knowing. God sees the beginning. He sees the end. He sees where you're at now. And we can't hide our past from God. Reminds me of Adam and Eve in the garden. And because of sin... Sin separated them from God, and sin caused shame and and guilt, and sin always causes sin. It always causes shame and guilt in our lives. And that sin caused them to hide, to to realize that they were naked. And, and, And in that moment, God comes as He would every night. He always longs to be with us. And He says to Adam and Eve, Where are you? Where are you? But because of the shame, the guilt they tried to hide. That's what shame does is it keeps you hiding, keeps you uh, holding those secrets. But I want you to know today that God knows your past. He knows the pain of your past. He knows the struggles of your past. And you know what? He knows what you're struggling with right now. He knows your thoughts. He knows your doubts. He knows your insecurities. He knows your fears. And if we'll be honest, Honest with God, honest with ourselves, and we'll surrender it to Him. And we'll allow Him to reveal the greatest revelations that can come through the Word. We'll begin to understand the divine nature in a greater way. So, the first truth that I I, I want you to understand is God knows your past. The second truth I want you to understand from this story is not only does Jesus know all about you because He knows your past. But he still loves you. You see, he has seen the struggles. He has seen the hardships. He has seen those doubts. He has seen you when you're up and down and you're trying to live a life that he, he desires. He sees it and he still loves you. He's still waiting. His arms are out crossed. He's still crossing barriers to get to you. You see, he said, i got to go to Samaria. There was a mission, and he's got a mission this morning. And his mission this morning is to heal your broken heart. It's to replace all of the pain and the hurt with a peace that comes, a peace that passes all understanding. So you may be here this morning having lost a loved one. After the first service, I prayed with one in the lobby who just lost her sister a couple days ago. She's flying out for the funeral and the pain and the hurt that's there. Can I tell you, God feels it. He took on a human body like you and I. He understands our pain. And what he wants for you and I to do is to release it to him, to find grace and mercy in him and to understand That God's grace is the thing that will give us the greatest fulfillments in our life. He knows you best, and He loves you the most, regardless of what your past is. The third truth that I want you to write down, that I understand and receive from this story, and it's it's a truth that's a little bit of a warning for you and me, and that is sin has consequences. Someone once said that sin is fun on credit. You have fun now and you pay later. (laughs) I found that to be true. But you know what I've also discovered and what I've also found is, you don't get to choose how much you'll pay. You will pay, there is a price to be paid, but you don't get to choose what the consequences always are. When we sin, we don't get to pick those consequences and how much it will cost. It's kind of like this. Imagine with me, you go to a store And in this store is everything, anything, everything, anything that you may want or anything that you can desire. You're told that you can have anything in the store, as much as you want in the store. The problem is two things. If you touch it, you buy it. It's not just if you break it, you buy it. If you touch it, you buy it. And secondly, you don't know how much it really costs. So at first, because you don't know how much it costs, you look around and there's a lot of things that entice you. There's a lot of things that you would want. There's a lot of pleasures. There's a lot of things that would bring fulfillment. A lot of things that have been in your desire. And you long for it, but you don't know how much it's going to cost. So there's there's self-will that's there. There's discipline that's there. You've learned to discipline your desires. And you hold off from touching it. But after a while, you start rationalizing and you start compromising. You start talking to yourself. Have you ever talked yourself into sin? Have you ever talked yourself into into doing something that you knew wasn't right, but you rationalized it? Anybody in this room? Well, I have. So, right now, I kind of feel like, a, you know, a, a lion in a den of Daniels right now because nobody's raising their hand with me. But the reality is I have. I talk myself into, it's okay. I rationalize, God will forgive me. I rationalize just as once. I I, I rationalize that, well, my situation's a little bit different than everybody else's situation. Well, you're in the store and after a while you start longing and desiring for things that you see. And before you know it, you reach out and you grab something, something that really entices, something that really you desire. And you grab it. And as you grab it, you take it up to the cashier. And as you go, there's a little bit of fear of how much it's going to cost. But at the same time, you've already convinced yourself it's worth the price. Whatever it is, it's worth it. And so you take it, and as you hand it to the cashier, and you say, how much is that going to cost? The cashier says, well, that's going to cost you your reputation. That's going to cost you your job. That's going to cost you your marriage, your ministry, your anointing, your kids, your family, your peace of mind. You see, I'm convinced if we could see what it costs, we will hold back from reaching out and touching. But the problem is, is sin has a price. There's consequences to our sin, and we don't always get to choose. My prayer for you, my prayer for myself, my prayer for our team, our staff, our pastors, is God, show us the price. Before I get into that relationship, show me the price. Show me the pain. Show me what's gonna happen if I cheat on this or if I do that. Show me the end, oh God. Open my spiritual eyes and let me be discerning to recognize and know. See, the problem, I know why you're quiet, is we live in a generation that says, it's okay reach out and touch. It's okay. You can have it. It's okay. The price isn't very much. It's okay because God forgives you and we diminish the consequence. But church, I want you to know that God is a holy God. He's a righteous God and there are consequences for our sin. The divine nature is a transformational nature. But once we embrace of the divine nature, we walk in it. And as we walk in it, it begins to grow the fruit in our life. That seed, the divine nature, has got to be watered. And as it's watered, it becomes a fruitful tree and a vine, a a tree of righteousness for the kingdom of God. So the reality is there is a price to be paid. You see, what I know is... This woman's story is the same story probably for many that are here today. Bad decisions that have been made, not knowing the price, not understanding the price that was going to be paid. You see, this woman, I told you, came to the well alone. I think she came to the well alone because she was a social outcast. All of the relationships, everything that has happened, the guilt, the shame, the weight, the burden. And maybe you're like that today. Her past that has checkered her. She comes alone, but Jesus is there. Broken relationship after broken relationship, broken relationship. Far from God, but Jesus is there waiting. He had a mission. He had a purpose. And I'm here to tell you today, it's the same for you and for me. He'll meet you where you're at. He'll be at the well with you, but He doesn't want to leave you there. He wants to offer you living water. Say living water. You know what that represents? It's his life. It's refreshing. It's a vibrancy. You know, he doesn't want your faith to be apathetic and stale and complacent. He wants you to have a faith that's alive. He wants you to have a faith that, that's active, that's moving you and, and leading you. A faith that you're having a communion with him and it's bubbling up wells of living water that's within you. John chapter 7 takes it even farther and says that that is the Holy Spirit that's released into your life, that leads you and guides you, because you're people of the Spirit that's in tune to the Spirit. Well, lastly, write it down. The last truth that I want you to understand is that Jesus is the only one that can satisfy my deepest desires. Look at these few verses that I got in your outline. I want to read them to you in our final moments. A few verses. Jesus said, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me, and I would have given you the living water. In verse 14, look here. A few verses down, whoever drinks the water that I give shall never thirst again, but the water I give shall become inside a well of water springing up to eternal life. I mean, what Jesus is saying is when you recognize these truths that I'm telling you about today, Jesus is saying the living water is purpose in your life. The living water will bring meaning and significance and satisfaction and fulfillment in your life. That is the living water. Water. He meets your greatest thirst. Look here, Psalm 42, verse 1. Look in your outline. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so I long for you. Say it with me. So I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. Isaiah 12, verse 2. See, God has come to save us. I will trust in Him and not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength. And he is my song. He has become my salvation. With joy, say with joy, you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. And lastly, all the way to the very last book of the Bible, Revelation 21, verse 6, Jesus said, I will give to the one who thirsts. I will give from the springs of water of life without cost God says come and I'll meet your deepest need this morning I challenge you admit to where you're at admit your emptiness admit your need admit admit to yourself admit to God and recognize that he's the one that will satisfy everything within you he'll meet you where you're at but he doesn't want to leave you there father God as we come To the end of our service, I thank you for how you've been moving, for how you've been speaking. But in these final moments, I pray, God, that as we open these altars, that in just a few moments, that, God, there will be healing in this room. Not just physical healing, as we've already prayed for, but, God's spiritual healing, emotional healing, that, God, today, that we won't rush out, But we'll rush here in a moment to the throne room of God touching you and recognizing that you're the one that releases mercy and grace. You're the one. Heads are bowed around this room. If you would say, Pastor Tom, I'm walking through a very difficult time right now. Maybe it's things that you've done. Maybe it's the season. Christmas can be a very lonely season, a very painful season. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe some things aren't going really well right now in your life. I'm here to tell you that Jesus meets your deepest needs. And if you would say, Pastor, pray for me. That's me today. I just need grace from God. His grace is sufficient. I need peace from God today. Would you lift your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me today? That's right. Don't be embarrassed. Just lift it up. Yes, sir. Guys, don't be embarrassed. If you need a touch from God, if you need an awakening in your spirit today, let God touch you in this room. Just reach up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me today. In the balcony, you've been walking with God, but the truth of the matter is today that you're feeling a little isolated. You're feeling alone. You're feeling like an outcast even. Maybe the enemy's been coming, and he's been speaking into your mind and into your spirit. He's been telling you you're no good, that you can't make it, you can't do it. This Christian life is not for you. Today, I'm telling you, Jesus is here to minister to your deepest thirst and your deepest needs. If that's you, lift your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me today. God bless you in the balcony. I see you today. Father, you see every hand that's been raised. And in a moment, I know that you're going to begin to release healing. That song, healing is here. It's not just physical. It's emotional. It's spiritual. God, there's a mercy that's released. There's grace that's released. And today, you tell us that you release living water. And I pray right now that living water, water that bubbles up life that bubbles a a cleansing that happens forgiveness and peace and wholeness I pray today that it'll be released this is what I'm going to ask in just a moment if you lifted your hand I want to pray for you in this altar I believe that God wants to move around these altars he wants to touch you so in just a moment when we stand If you lifted your hand from the balcony, come on down. All around the the floor, come on down. Come right here to the front. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.